coming to you live from wherever. I'm one of the guys that does the thing, and with me as always is the other guy. This is the thing. Episode number, podcast. Hey, 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 readers, it's good to have you back on the Mildly Alarming Podcast. My name is Tom Rich. They're listeners, and I'm Johanna Stauffer. And this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast, which I already mentioned, but I'm going to mention it one more time. The Mildly Alarming Podcast. And it's we're mildly glad. alarming. It's just a little bit alarming. And like, it's a podcast. It, not a lot. Like, I, I'm not... It's not like raising my heart level, but like my eyebrows go up. Yeah. Just a little bit. Uh, so welcome back. Glad to have you. Always wonderful to have you around in our audience. Uh, listening to us talk about board games, board game design, and um, other stuff. The design of board games. Yeah. So today we got a really great podcast for you lined up. We're going to talk about keywording and iconography and generally collapsing large amounts of rules into a small amount of visual and or textual real estate on your game components. When did keyword become a verb? Did Did I verb it there? You said keywording. Oh, um... I, I guess that could be the wording on, like, if you had labels inscribed on your keys. All of my keys have labels on them. They, that could be key Otherwise, wording. I can't remember what lock they go in. Or it could be wording that's very important to a given, you know, sentence or topic. The, the key wording. It's key. Wording. I'm really enjoying... Tom got new headphones, and finally he's not using my headphones. And uh, the ones that he has, the little adjustment bits coming up off the ears look kind of like horns. So, um... It's just proof that you're vile and evil. It's probably true. Yeah. Uh, I know what I did, and it was disgusting. And gross. And also unpleasant. And illegal. In nine states. And Kentucky. Which is a commonwealth. It is, right? Uh, I think Kentucky's one of the ones that's still a commonwealth, yeah. Which doesn't really make any practical difference other than they call themselves the commonwealth of whatever. A couple of them do. So board games. Board games? Talking about board games. I hate it when you do that. I know you do. I hate it so much. I know. It makes you unhappy. Listeners, please, peas. Peas are gross. (laughs) But also, please, let us know in the comments or on Twitter uh, if you also hate it when Tom goes, board games. Asparagus is better than peas. Also, it makes your pea smell funny. Yeah. But not your peas smell funny. They smell the same way they always uh, do. So apparently... This, there's there's like debate among the scientific community about asparagus pee. Wait, what? Yeah, really. Like Amazing. because because there are people apparently there are people who cannot smell it. What and, what? And there are people who process asparagus differently so their pee doesn't smell. So wait a and minute. And you can be any combination. So like some people can't smell it and also their pee doesn't smell and so it's just like there's no they're just like no of course this doesn't exist you're all insane that doesn't happen <laughs> but they i guess they don't really fully understand why so like scientists fight with each other about so, asparagus pee amazing so you're telling me that when i have had a meal of grilled asparagus one evening and then the following mid morning i roll up to the urinal at work mm-hmm. and i'm next to some dude and i start doing my thing you know and interacting fairly sternly with the urinal. Right. And I go, sorry, man, I had a meal of asparagus last night. He might have no idea what I'm talking about and think I'm just the craziest person he's going to meet that day. Well, he will already think you're some sort of criminal because <laughs> you don't you don't talk to people at the well, urinal. But I, I feel like it, it, it's against the natural law. I feel like it's OK to talk, though, if you're unleashing a, like a room filling asparagus stain. No. That that is just you don't you don't you don't got to draw attention to it. Well, yeah, but if he's starting to choke and gasp a little bit, and like he's desperately jiggling to to get that last <laughs> little bit out so that he can zip up and run for it before he loses consciousness in the fog of asparagus stench. 
I think I think you may experience more of the asparagus pea smell than I, for instance, do. Because well, we, wow, we've established this on some sort of continuum. From Is it zero. visible? Is there a haze rising up from below waist level? It's not visible to you. You don't see the cloud <laughs> wafting across the restroom. That's disgusting. Like, you don't have to light a line of candles at the door when you go at home so that it doesn't get out and choke the cat to death. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got to kind of waft the flames back as it bursts so that they don't burn you while you're sitting there doing your thing. It bursts? It's flammable? It's not? Wow. Are you sure you've been eating asparagus? I'm pretty sure. Okay. Asparagus is the thing that comes in that bottle that says lighter fluid on it, right? (laughs) No, no, that's a different thing. Oh, well, I haven't been eating asparagus then. Yeah, I think that's uh, something. I couldn't. I was trying to make a joke about some drink <laughs> that I think is gross, but it fell apart on me. I couldn't come up with anything. Fair enough. We've talked about urine for long enough. What, were, what was our first topic for today, Honest? Uh, all we had on the notes for this episode was five minutes about pee. <laughs> oh. This has been the five minute pee show. <laughs> Do, 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 do. Five minute pee show. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. So, but no, seriously, though, we do have a board game related topic today. It's about keywords and iconography. Iconography? Iconography. In the interest of full disclosure, we spent quite a bit of time uh, leading up to starting recording the actual content of the podcast, uh, working on our uh ads and and ending bits and whatnot and Wait, so what you, we, we're a few hold, hold up a sec what are you talking about yeah. working on our ads you we, know that we put online advertisements for the for the mildly alarming podcast yeah but people people just buy those ad spots like companies no no no, no not the ones on the show our ads oh oh our you know, ads like for the, oh and, okay yeah, yeah. i was gonna say that like didn't... like gary gary runs an ad for us on his show we recorded that too. right gary gary smoolahan yeah yeah that that's what I, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. I the, the, the important thing was not the ads and and whatever or where they go. It was um, the fact that we are each further in to our our nightly uh, prescription of gin and tonic uh, than than we often are when we begin podcasting. Which is why Tom is slurring his I'm not, speech. I'm not slurring. I'm not slurring. I'm not slurring. <laughs> Honestly, it takes an awful lot to get me to slur. Uh huh. Yeah. Board games? Board games. So we were thinking about, we wanted to talk a little bit about keywords and iconography. And what we mean by uh, and more keywords, we talked about iconography a little bit in uh, the inclusivity episode, and I think one other episode earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we mean by keywords, um, probably the best example comes from the the collectible card game Magic the Githerang. I think that's how you pronounce that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a boomerang, but it, uh, dirtier. Yeah. It's where you collapse an entire set of rules, an entire, uh, you know, concept and potentially quite a bit of interactions and concepts and ideas into one or two words. So uh, a good example of it from that game is the ability trample. So a card might just say trample on it. It's got a single word in the in the ability box and whatnot. A trample is like a small tramp, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, moving on. Um, and so trample then carries the idea that when that creature attacks uh, it deals and it's blocked by another creature, it deals damage enough damage to kill the blocking creature. And then anything left over carries over to the defending player. So it tramples over whatever blocks it. So that rules text, you fit into the word trample and you only have to say trample every time you want to bring that in. Fine. That's straightforward enough. But what keywording it is trample also does is it allows us to make call outs to that specifically. So I could say, I have a card that doubles the attack power of a creature, but only if that creature has trample. Mm -hmm. Then the fact that it's been given a keyword really matters because I could have a card that says this creature, if blocked, deals enough damage to kill the blocking creature and then deals its remainder to the defending player, but doesn't use the keyword trample. And then that card I mentioned before that doubles power couldn't affect that creature because although it has a functionally identical ability, it does not actually have trample. Mm-hmm. So what, what keywording allows you to do is first collapse a bunch of rules into a small space so that once your your players understand them, they can, you know, just look at that and, and know that's how that works. 
Mm-hmm. And second, it allows you to call explicitly to that entire set of rules um, with one word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my my question for the day as a designer and the thing that I want to ask Johannes about and see what he thinks, um, because I care what he thinks about things because he hits me really hard in the face with his giant hands if I don't. <laughs> um, is... I bought these giant hands at a garage sale and I was just like, <laughs> what do I do with these giant hands? And then I thought, you know, I don't hit Tom in the face enough. And now that's what I use them for. They're very good at, good at it. Yeah, I got them mounted on the end of like a broomstick so I can hit them from like six, eight feet away. It's great. It's 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 impressive. I, I would find it more impressive if it didn't always end with me, you know, having a concussion. <laughs> Being beaten but, about the face and head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, I, I guess my, my question here is, in a board game, a, a single box, you know, all of the stuff you need is going to be in this box and maybe some expansions, whatever, board game that is going to have the rule book there and all that. How useful is keywording and collapsing like that, the rules into that kind of a small space? Mm -hmm. And how much are you better off just repeat the rules over and over again? It doesn't hurt anything. And, um, you know, how much is it not useful? Where does that, what do you, how do you feel about that? I see a lot of use for it. I I want to touch on one thing. There's, there's a programming term. There's actually probably several, several programming terms that, Mm -hmm. uh, perfectly encapsulate what you described as a keyword and keyword may actually even apply in some uh, languages and situations and i'm sure if we have uh, crossover listeners uh, between us and the five minute geek show who um, from here on out we will refer to as turncoats um, i'm sure they could let us know so if you if you know what i'm referring to and forgetting the actual name or names of uh, let us know in the comments or twitter or wherever if, if you don't mind me jumping in a little bit here go for it um it might now that I think about it a little bit, it might actually not be the common term keyword for it. Sure. In board game in general, I think that's actually what they call them in the magic rulebook. Sure. And I'm just remembering it from my days as a magic addict. Yeah, yeah, and well, so that's actually that touches on one of the points. I think they're worthwhile. I think they're good both from a design standpoint um, and from a player standpoint, especially from a design standpoint. Being aware the players are going to use them because if you let if you have a regularly applied um, chunk of rules uh, that that you know are too big to fit on a card, but you need to be able to refer to it, and, and actually they're they're mm-hmm. used a lot, like um, making a difference, uh, uh, making a differentiation between trashing and discarding a card in a in a deck builder in Dominion, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And not just Dominion in a deck builder. That's become a pretty universal. Um, term terminology Tr- mm-hmm. trash versus discard is generally pretty well understood and sometimes a rule book will make a point that you know this is what we mean by trash and this is what we mean by discard but um, it- it's good to be aware of them in design first of all because you can save yourself a lot of writing out the same rules over and over again and thereby save yourself a lot of real estate on a card or a board mm-hmm. um but also understanding that whether or not you set those keywords, they're probably going to come to exist. And if good point. you don't set that keyword to be keyword or to be trash or to be discard, you're going to have players come up with different terms for them and they're going to be disparate between different groups of people who play together. And that means now it's a lot harder to have a conversation about this game. Sure. Because you have to say, yeah, so when we talk about the rule on page 36 that that deals with, you know, moving above your allotted speed or whatever, uh, we call it dash. But, you, you know, this other gaming group over here called it sprint. Mm-hmm. And so you just ha- you have to, like, you're constantly defining terms because you have these weird board game dialects just based around the one game that you have so from a design aspect it's it's a good idea to take care of those things ahead of time whether or not you need to save that real estate mm-hmm. so that everyone's on the same page you know you know it, it's funny if i if i may digress a touch here fine uh i know right we, it's all we do is digress around here it's funny how exactly that echoes a thing that i ran into at like my regular job this mm-hmm. very week yeah um you know having consistent terminology about things that you're talking about and mm-hmm. how incredibly useful that is. Yeah. In the the software that I write training materials for, we have tabs across the top of the screen and then other tabs down the left. So you yeah. go to the one across the top for the thing you want first, mm-hmm. and then you go to the tab down the left for the other thing. And 
there are there's a consistent term for the ones on the left, but there's no term for what those ones on the top are called. Mm-hmm. And so it just varies widely from one tip sheet or trainer guide or whatever to the next. And it's like, how do I talk about this? Yeah, I don't because no, there's no term that everybody who I'm talking to uses. And I'm just I'm just screwed. Yeah. And, and setting that expectation up front that this is what we're going to call this all the time and then using it consistently can make such a huge difference to mm-hmm. learning what you're trying to do, whether it's a board game or how to use a piece of software. I actually run into a similar thing at work uh, as the only IT guy for the company um, and the first IT guy ever for this company <laughs> trying to communicate with less technical people and trying to create a like standard language and just standards in general for things Mm -hmm. trying to dumb down sounds mean but i think it's apt trying to dumb down concepts enough that people can get what i'm explaining to them without me having to spend 45 minutes teaching them about how ip addresses work right right or whatever well Um, but i don't if i don't do it ahead of time i find myself in these conversations where i'm like stumbling over myself and must look like i have some sort of uh, social anxiety disorder trying to complete a sentence that they can understand and I'm mm-hmm. finally just like just trust me it just works it's just it's fine just can can we be done with this conversation now well right I mean you, you know that's interesting you, you say um dumbing down and you don't you don't want to say dumb down because but that's what it feels like because you know what you're talking about right um I run into the exact same thing because uh, I, I have to communicate between techie people that write that work with the software and medical people who use it. I'm a people person. I'm good with people. Yeah, I know. Like I'm the first to be shot in the head when yeah. the bobs come to town. But literally, that's what my my entire gig is: is trying to make technical stuff sound like it will make sound in a way that it'll make sense to medical people. And right. it's not that the medical people are stupid, um, because they completed various different versions of medical school or nursing school or radiology tech school or whatever right it's that they don't spend all of their time on computers so they just don't have the shared vocabulary that those techie people already have right and um uh, i want to go back to a point you made earlier about how trashing versus discarding in uh deck building card games has come around as a common term Mm -hmm. um for those not initiated in deck building card games if you those are the games where you're you're adding cards to a deck of cards that's yours and you're you're cycling through it over the course of the game um, and playing cards when doing whatever it is the game has you doing. Right. But to discard a card in those games typically means to put it in your discard pile and then it will get shuffled back into your deck and you'll get to re- keep recycling it turn after turn as you work your way through your deck. Right, which means it's gone for the turn, but you are going to get it back later. Right. It's still a resource you have at your fingertips. If you trash it by contrast, it goes out of your deck and usually outside of the game out altogether. Out of the game altogether, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just gone, which can be good. There are ter- times when that's the thing to do, but it's much more permanent. Um, that represents kind of a a multi-game shared terminology mm-hmm. that is fine if you already play that kind of game. Yeah. If we were to just create a deck builder and just write trash a card on it without defining what we mean by that term, somebody who's already played a lot of deck builders would get it, but... Somebody who had for whom this was their first deck builder would be like, what do you mean? Trash a card. You throw it out and then eventually you run out of all the cards and you have to buy another copy of the game. It's an amazing marketing strategy. It is, it's brilliant. Why has no one done that? Uh, Risk Legacy kind of did. Yeah, that's true. But uh, also, I, I wish Risk Legacy wasn't Risk because I love the idea, but I know that I will never convince people to play it with yeah, I, I've heard that Legacy as a mechanic is a thing. For Again, now, for, for those who don't know, Rick, Risk... Blah, blah, blah. Risk Legacy is uh, a game of risk where you're actually physically like marking the board and the pieces to denote changes that have been made through play. And by and fi- I think there's like what fifty games or something, and then it's over. Fifteen. Fifteen. And by physically marking, he means take a permanent marker and write on the board with yeah. it. Yeah, you're removing territories and, and, and even even more than changing that, changing borders. There are packs of cards that are sealed. When you yeah. open the box, and they have directions on them that do not open this de- this pack until you finish game four, or you know, or unless this happens, only yeah. open this in this circumstance, and then all of those cards enter the game, and your game does a thing. Apparently, too, if you open the box, you know, take all the components out, and then pull the insert out of it, and then flip the insert over, I think it is, and look underneath it. There's a pack of cards there that says "Do not ever open this," <laughs> and I've never bought. I, I 
I've left it unspoiled, so I don't know what happens if you open that. Yeah, the world ends. I, I don't know, but it's it's a whole deck, so I assume something wacky, but apparently the guy who made Risk Legacy is making a di- another Legacy game that's like in a unique mechanical world and huh. is its own thing, so. Yeah, so, so I've, I've heard um, on, on Board Game Geek and a few other places people talking about Legacy games as though there is more than just Risk Legacy, mm-hmm. and maybe they've just seen the mechanic and assumed it's coming, or maybe there are other ones out there that I don't I, know about. I don't know, I don't know, know how you'd ones. make them work, like... Monopoly Legacy. <laughs> you just buy the game and you throw it out because no one likes Monopoly. Nobody likes Monopoly. Yeah, I, I don't know of any others that exist at the moment, but I know the guy is working on another. I forget his okay. name. Oh, uh, we might it's put probably it, George. Or try to throw Fred. it in the show notes, maybe if we remember to look it up. It's George or Fred. Um, so, I mean, I mean, keywording then to, to get back to the topic. You know, it's it's good when you have robustly defined them and consistently used them, mm-hmm. but a a undefined or assumed keyword or a keyword that is used inconsistently and ineffectively is mm-hmm. almost worse than no keyword at all than just repeating the rule on every card that it comes up on. Yeah. There are things... So so Tom and I have been playing a lot of a game called Onirim. I'm assuming it's pronounced Onirim. I like that game a lot. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's designed for one player and it can... It has sort of extra rules to make it work with two, but Mm -hmm. they make the assumption that you're sad and you're going to play it by yourself, which I have done and will do again. Yeah, once. I I haven't had enough time. I would judge you, but I've I've played Samurai Spirit by myself far, far more than once. Yeah, and uh, so it's sort of a co-op deck builder, which is kind of weird, and um, instead of... They don't ever talk about discard. They have this thing called the limbo pile. they They have discarding. Where do you discard to? To the discard pile. There's no discard pile. Yeah, when you, you, you can either play a card on your turn or discard it. And then limbo is what happens to the... Yeah, okay, so what they call discard, though, is, is trash. Sure, because it's never, never gonna, comes back. It's never gonna, okay, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. don't have trash. They call, they call discard limbo, and they call trash discard, which really makes more sense. Like, no way, it, yeah. So, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that um, well, they're not using the accepted terms, mm-hmm. um, their terms kind of fit the, you know, dreamscape kind of weird nightmare theme of the game. Limbo, well, I'm stuck in limbo, but also it makes sense. Like these cards are in limbo. They're not usable. They can't do anything right now, but they're not there for good. Mm-hmm. Like the the term itself communicates reasonably well what it's supposed to do sure and it actually kind of skirts what could be a confusing issue of discard and trash meaning pretty much the same thing okay i follow what you're saying um so I just, anyway i just wanted to point it out because well, i thought that's interesting I think if, that... if you can use if you can come up with keyword terms you know limbo the limbo pile means this thing you know the card's going here for a while but it's mm-hmm. still getting shuffled back in at the end um even if it's different from the generally accepted term if you can use a keyword that communicates its intent pretty well without description Mm -hmm. that can still work pretty well i think that ties nicely back into the example we used to introduce the segment about trample from magic i think the word trample kind of communicates what it does pretty well Mm -hmm. deal enough damage to whatever's stopping you and then carry over the rest to whatever's behind it right the defending player in this case Mm -hmm. um Whereas there were other mechanics in that game that were not so clearly related to their uh, right their keyword. Uh, what, was, what was the one from back? I haven't played Magic in like a decade now. And I, I think. think I played it one time with you with an out of date deck that I got from my brothers that wasn't all that great. Yeah. Oh shoot! What was it called? Banding, I think, was the name of the mechanic that they had in the early days of the game, mm-hmm. and it allowed creatures to group up and, and try- let them make a barrel. It was like a sort of a, a... Or form like a musical group. Or that. Yeah. yeah. But they would, uh, and they could group up and attack together, and then the damage distribution was weird, and it was, it was, there was a lot going on, but the word banding didn't communicate enough to give you a great sense of what it was, and so it got dropped hmm. and never came back. Yeah. So we should probably take this into, you know, iconography as well. We've been talking about keywords, but I think they kind of um, work together. They're both ways of basically abbreviating a rule to something that you can fit in a smaller space um, and something that, you know, is a word or mm-hmm. a picture um, to to refer to 
potentially a page of rules that mean this thing. Sure. I think um, icons you have to be a lot more careful about because they need to be easily distinguishable. They need to be easily memorizable. And you still have to be able to refer to them with words. I think that uh, a game we talked about briefly but haven't haven't done like a Let's Play or, or a, a playthrough at all of is a Samurai Spirit that does this both very well and very poorly in mm-hmm. two cases. Yeah. Um, in the, the successful case, I feel, is when it, ha- it has this little icon that it's just a little, little fire, little fireball icon thing. Mm-hmm. And it means when this icon happens, whenever it pops up, you remove either a barricade from your town or if you've run out of barricades, you burn down a farmhouse. Right. And it's fire, and it's it's pretty clear what that means. And yeah. It fits the theme, and the and the the mechanical implications aren't so complicated that it's hard to remember. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes where it's less effective is that um, there are bandits in that game that have a a penalty that it, it's it's a rightward facing arrow on or right or left facing arrow on top of a card, mm-hmm. and what it means is that the samurai to your right or left as appropriate has to draw at the beginning of your turn has to draw a bandit from the deck mm-hmm. and put add it to their combat pile mm-hmm. or combat line or whatever you call it but which is fine except that there's also little sub rules in there that say which I don't know that we've paid attention to yet that say that that samurai can't put it in onto the left side of their card which normally they could and they can't use their special power against it either. It just right. goes onto their happens. line no matter what. And the iconography does nothing to communicate that extra level. Yeah, I find that the basic iconography in that game is very clear. And the like special ability iconography is complete nonsense. It's a little... It's You know, I can see often what they were going for with the special iconography, but... But not the, enough that you look at it and go, I remember what that means. It's, I, we look at it and we go, what does that mean again? And it, then you're like, yeah. it means this many cards when this happens. And you're like, okay, and it, I sort it, of see it. It might be that I've played it by myself a lot more than I than you've played it at all. Mm-hmm. But um, I yeah, it, it definitely take it definitely has a lot more of a learning curve than I'm happy with for iconography. Yeah. I would like something more to it. Well, another thing that um, if it's with keywords in iconography and just being clear... And this isn't even the fault of the game, but I don't think there's any such thing as a bandit in that game. I think that's your not, word. Is that just my word? I, it may not be that it's bandit. It may be that you've played it enough that you've corrected yourself because I don't remember what it's actually supposed well, to be. There's the there's one deck is called the Raider deck and yeah, one yep. is the Intruder there deck. There are no bandits. So Raiders are what they are and you always call them bandits because that was what you thought they were. I think mm. you forgot Raiders and replaced it with Bandits the first sure. time we played it. So we all call them Bandits. Well, it, it, but then it made it really unclear. Like, wait, what? But what's... So you... you mm-hmm. When we all learned the game, you, you taught it to us and you understood <laughs> it yourself. That um, Bandit meant Raider and Raider meant Intruder and Intruder wasn't a word in the game. And so you're like, that's the Bandit pile and that's the Raider pile. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. So good. And then we figured it out that it was Intruder, and it was like, but now Bandit is in all of our minds, right. and in our vocabulary for this game. Well, I, it it might have been too that they used the word Bandit in like the flavor text where they're oh, describing it, be, yeah. or it could even be that they used it in the Shut Up and Sit Down review of uh-huh. it, or it could even be that they used it in the description of the movie The Seventh Samurai on Wikipedia, which <sighs> I read after get after reading about the game because that's what the game is based on, right? Is or is inspired by rather I shouldn't say based on because it's not a licensed thing. But, um, so, you know, any number of places I could have picked up the word bandit. And that's, you know, something to be aware of as a designer, but not something you can do anything about is that a set of terminology is going to emerge among players of your game. Yeah. I mean, and and actually, there's nothing you can do about this it. This is something we talked about. I want to say there was a board game hour about this like a month and a half ago, maybe. Um, something about... Have we been podcasting for a month and a half now? Yeah, more than we're on. We're on episode thirteen. Damn, girl! Right? How'd you fit all of that in them jeans? Nuclear weapons. No, it checks out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. We talked about. Um, I forget why it came up, but it was uh, how how confusing it was to go from the resistance to the resistance Avalon. Oh yeah, um, which are basically the same game, but one of them is skinned as a sort of, um dystopian future Mm -hmm. the resistance is like this dystopian future the resistance avalon is the same game uh mechanics 
set in Arthurian England and, you know, Avalon. And so, and in, and in Resistance, it's very clean. Everything's got a one word name. It's, it's, um, is it Rebels and Spies or something Spy, like that? I think it's Spies and Resistance. Spies and Resistance. Or it might be like Resistance members. But Spies is the, is the thing. And in, um, in Resistance Avalon, it's like, it's either agents of good or agents of Arthur and agents of evil, evil or agents of, of Mordred. Mordred. Yeah. And it's just such a mouthful. And so I kept, I was teaching resistance minions, Avalon to minions people, of minions Mordred. of Mordred. Yeah. yeah. I was teaching uh resistance Avalon to people who had not played either game. And I had, I had not played Avalon yet. I had only played mm-hmm. um, the resistance and I'm going spies do this. And they're like, what are spies? What are you talking about? And it's just like I it's just I can never get this straight. I'll never be able to get this straight you know, in my head. Normally I I pretty consistently prefer fantasy to sci fi. Yeah. Like it put a sword instead of a ray gun in the guy's hand, I'm happier. Yeah. But I think the resistance is more fun than I agree. Avalon. I agree. I just I, I the the spies versus fascist government fits a lot better yeah. than you know. You feel more government. like you have to take on a character when you're in such an established even if it's pretty sp- Spuriously established um, right. mythology like Arthurian legend, uh, but whereas with Resistance, like this is new. I am just I am a character. Whereas in in Avalon, you're like I am Merlin. Now I have to be Merlin. Right. You know what would be cool? A a version of the Resistance. You know, same mechanics and all, but uh-huh. set in like you know Vichy France or Spain during the Spanish Civil War and all that. Mm-hmm. That could be kind of cool. Or we could just keep playing the resistance. We could keep doing that too. But yeah. like, I would buy, I would buy one set in the Spanish War. And like, one of the special roles could be Ernest Hemingway because he went. And That's the whole reason you came up with this. Only, only part of it. You're just thinking about Ernest Hemingway. He's got that beard. Keep your hands up above the table, please. They are both above the table and visible. Good. You disgust me. Is that mildly alarming podcast first masturbation joke? I don't know. No, because we did the Lake Billy episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was not our fault. <laughs> not our proudest hour? Not so much. I don't... Is any... Is any we haven't this... had a proud hour yet. We haven't even had a proud minute. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we've had an hour that we were least ashamed of. Well, certainly. I mean, isn't necessarily that is the case? There has to be... A... Keep your hand above the table! <laughs> no, they could all be equivalently shameful. It's fair, I guess. And then... Then I guess they're all the hour we're least ashamed of or something. (laughs) And most. So anyway, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about with keywords and iconography? No, We should probably touch on the fact, we mentioned it before, but uh, man, Race for the Galaxy, fail. Yeah, I don't really care for their, like, well, the problem Race for the Galaxy runs into is that in a a lot of cases, I, I don't think their problem is so much that they rely so heavily on iconography. It's this, in a lot of cases, their iconography is complete gibberish. Yeah, well, yeah. It's not necessarily that iconography is bad. So this brings up something I wanted to touch on, is the a game that we're working on uh, called Big Man. Um, and the cards have to have a lot of space for other things on them, So, but, but they, they function in a lot of different ways in the game. So we have mm-hmm. an icon in all four corners of the card that have to communicate different things fight value speed value um health value and treasure value and we've used iconography for all of it and currently in our prototype mode they're all just little circles or a few other shapes and i think even so it's relatively clear like it's pretty it's confusing at first to to remember like blue means speed or mm-hmm. the lower right hand cor- i don't even know if it's the lower right hand corner that's how long it's no, been you're since right. we played lower right hand corner is speed but it's it's simple enough that you can figure it out and once we have the like final game artwork for it we can make it pretty obvious the sure the butter can be a stick of butter the speed can be you know little feet this the, game is ah, it's amazing we're brilliant brilliant <laughs> men and I, credit where credit's you using butter to grease yourself up and slip between narrow bars or, or a, a space you normally couldn't fit through was Johannes's idea. And if he does nothing else in life, it will merit him admittance to Valhalla. It, it came to me on a beam of light from the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was beautiful. I, I remember the conversation crystal clearly. 
and it was it was majestic. Carry so, on though. So iconography can be used well, and I'm not you know tooting our own horn and saying we did it well. And and um, race for the galaxy did it poorly. Though I feel that that is the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you you have to be careful because if you use too much and too unclear like it has to be distinguishable it has to be describable so really iconography is even harder to use than just a keyword because then you still have to be able to describe your icon quickly in a way that everyone will understand and if you're going it's kind of a cross shape or maybe a a plus maybe it's an x if you kind of turn it a little over people are gonna be like what are you even talking about and to, to tie it back into the inclusivity episode um you know, you got to make sure the colors makes it doesn't rely too heavily on color because somebody like me might come along and think brown is purple. Okay, let me tell you the story. We were playing Seven Wonders, and um, I got a card that had a little. It had a little picture of a card on it, and it had like a circle. It had a couple of icons on the bottom of that card, but the color of the card mattered a lot for what it did. Um, and I thought it was purple, so I thought it gave me points or gold or whatever it was for how many purple cards I I had. And I had none, so I didn't play it. It turned out it was brown. It was a shade of brown. It was brown. And so it would have given me points or gold or whatever for all the brown cards I had, which I had a lot of those. And so I hadn't played it, and so I'd missed out on a ton of stuff. Now, next time I go to the eye doctor, I'm going to ask about, you know, colorblindness (laughs) and check what's because like it, that was a pretty significant like it was pretty significant because at this point i was angry drinking i was like listen <laughs> we're playing seven wonders nothing good can happen he did not like seven wonders. i'm just gonna pour scotch down my mouth hole until it ends i wish we'd been recording it because he had some pretty good lines there uh, they were hurtful to the designer of seven wonders which is the same guy who designed samurai spirit which you like a lot i do like samurai so, spirit who knows how that happened yeah uh but um He's probably drunk high and something else <laughs> despicable while making Seven Wonders. Or maybe he was drunk and high while he was making Samurai Spirit. One never knows. Normally he's boring and dumb. Uh, but my point is that sometimes people don't see color right, and I need to go talk to a doctor. Yep. So if you guys have anything else you want to point out about keywords or iconography or uh, anything else that we missed, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. You can send us an electronic letter at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. You could leave a comment on the website at mildlyalarming.com, or you could uh, just scream whatever it is that you want to tell us into one of those little pocket tape recorders, stick it in the payload bay of an Estes rocket, um, launch it as high as it goes, and uh, we'll, we'll find it. Yeah, we have a space station. We'll catch it. As long as it goes that high. Estes rockets go that high, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really though, right? Because I'm in a lot of trouble if they don't. (laughs) We'll talk about this on the break. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hey there, folks. Rick Pusta here from Rick Pusta's Used Podcast. Are you podcasting in an old high-mileage podcast with holes in the floorboards and a gristle in its tussle? Does your podcast bang and clang when you try to tell jokes about butts or even about smart things? I want to put you in a new podcast, so push, pull, wheel, or bear your podcast on down. I'll trade for anything, from podcasts about professional beatboxing to podcasts about sea turtles. I'll even trade for the 5-Minute Geek Show, Rick Pusta's Used Podcast. Come on down! Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm Johanna Stauffer. And I'm, um, Rich Thomas? That's what people at work call me. It's terrible. Yeah, that's the worst. They can't figure out which name is... It's because you first. can't trust a man with two first names. Rich isn't a first name in and of itself. It's short for Richard, and there's no Richard involved here. I don't know. There are people who are just rich, I'm no. sure. There are people who are just John. My dad and brother are both just Ricky. They're not, it's not short for Rickard? Nope. Huh. Yeah, it's weird. That is weird. But your dad and brother are kind of strange to begin with. Yeah. So now you have to stay awake at night. Wondering if they heard that on the internet. Oh, I'd say awake at night anyway, wondering if I've done anything to make them angry. <laughs> if they're just waiting outside. Exactly. I, I assume that at least one... As soon one, as his eyes close, we'll burst through the door. I assume that at least one night a week, they are waiting outside just to keep the fear in me. Yeah, that's probably reasonable. My wife is making weird gestures at me, and I, but because I'm wearing headphones, I can't. I cannot hear what she's saying. She said something about nightmares. Do you say that's why you have nightmares? That's why I have nightmares. That's why she wakes up. 
Should I should I tell one of the my wife wakes up freaking out in the middle of the night stories? Am I gonna am I gonna sleep on the couch if I tell that story? She started it. You have to Fair bring enough. it up now. So my wife uh, Elise suffers from uh, night terrors to some degree, and so sometimes she just wakes up panicking in the night, and that's weird and kind of uh, alarming for me. And probably the best one. And this is a little bit not safe for work. I'm you, go- you would say it's more than mildly alarming? More than mildly alarming. So I'm asleep in our bed, just, you know, out like a light. And all of a sudden I wake up because she's freaking the hell out. She's sitting up, just panicked. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I'm like, what the problem? What's wrong? What is what is happening? Uh-huh. And she's like, there's somebody there. There's somebody over there. She's pointing to the door of our bedroom. And I kind of blearily look up and go look over there. And there's nobody there. Like there's enough light coming in. Cause we lived in an apartment at the time. And there were, there were street lights out in the parking lot. So I could clearly mm-hmm. see there was nobody at the door. There wasn't even the shadow of somebody at the door. It was clearly that we were fine. And I go, no honey, it's fine. There's nobody there. It's, it's okay. And she goes, the f- there isn't. And so I was like, I am like, all right, you handle it. All yours. And I just rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> my other favorite, my that's, wife wakes that's, up. That's the, uh, that's the caring, loving husband that every woman wants. Well, I knew she was safe. <laughs> I'd have gotten up and fought him if there's somebody there. <laughs> my other favorite one is we were visiting her family in Minnesota once. And uh, she wakes up just panicked, but like in kind of a sad way. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I'm like, I get up. I kind of blearily wake up and go, what's the problem? Why? Why are you sad? What's wrong? And she goes, I spilled them. I spilled them ever. And she's gesturing at the, the blanket there. And there's nothing there. Uh, and I gathered the next day that it was like she'd spilled some jacks or something. I think it was, was what she'd been dreaming about. And I'm like. Caltrops. And so, but, but, but I just said, oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll clean it up in the morning. And she goes, oh, okay. And lays down and goes back to sleep. It was awesome. I'm like, yes. And we went back to bed. Yeah. So, uh. That's um that hap- doesn't happen so often anymore, but every now and again, she'll just wake up and I'll be like, oh, oh man, go back to bed. It's fine. There's nothing actually there. Just let me sleep. I cannot express to you in words how glad I am that my wife does not do that. She already talks in her sleep mm-hmm. about weird crap and like moves around and kicks me repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And but but I'm the one who like oh, we we live in a pretty old house. Um the the. The main little part of our house is, I think, like 80 years old. Uh-huh. And it uh, it creaks as it settles. It makes a lot of noises. The floors creak. Mm-hmm. They're hardwood. It's just, it's loud at night. Everything sounds like someone walking through the house. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> then I have like, like a billy club by the bed because I just have it. It's like having a baseball bat by the door. It's just, mm-hmm. I have that thing. But like... There have been a couple nights where I've gotten up and walked through the house with it once to be like, I I need to be sure nothing's going on. If my wife were waking up and being like, there's someone at the door, I'd be like, this is it. Call 911. I'm going out in a blaze of glory (laughs) and probably blood. See, the thing is, though, like there's this is where the difference between you and I kind of comes out as people. Like, you are six foot, like, what, eight, nine? (laughs) Five and a half. Uh, Yeah. And like, what? Three or four hundred pounds of muscle, um, so like, and another couple hundred of fat on top. Sure, of Sure, sure. You know, I, I whatever. I can't tell the difference. I weigh nine hundred pounds. I can't tell the difference in people bigger than me. So, like, if there's a a hardened criminal in your home, you can fight that guy. You can beat him with a with an uh, blunt object. I gotta tell and, you though, you really don't feel that way in your boxer shorts in the middle of the night. How it doesn't matter how big you are. I'm just like, yep. Yeah. If I had jeans and a t-shirt on, I would be like, yeah, I can take that guy. But in my boxer shorts, I'm like, they're like it's, it's, it's. jeans and a t-shirt are not going to offer any more defense mm-hmm. than than not having them is. But I'm just like, nope, this is it. This but, is how but, I die. But see, like, even if I'm wearing... Embarrassingly. <laughs> <laughs> even if I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt, like I'm sleeping in them for some reason, like, I, I, I can't take that guy. I'm... I'm 5'9", 140. <laughs> I am a little tiny man, and, like, I don't have upper body strength, so, like, I can have a bat, and I'm just, like, bonking him on the head like a f***ing <laughs> Muppet, knocking another one on the head with a wiffle ball bat, I, and I, it's just I, sad. Very, okay, in real life, 
no exaggeration, until a couple weeks ago, I weighed exactly twice as much as you. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm a, I am a little tiny, tiny man. Yeah. And if any, anybody who is who has attained, who is at the point in their life where they're going to break into a home, yeah. while there's the risk of people sleeping in it, is a person who could defeat me in hand-to-hand because combat. Because they're desperate. Right. Even if I'm armed. Yeah. Like, you can arm me with anything short of a gun, and I'm still losing that fight <laughs> nine times out of ten. And even with the gun, it's not really much of a guarantee, because I'm not, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a I'm not a violent man. Would you say that you're a lover, not a fighter? Yeah, I am. Would your wife agree? She's not paying attention. She's to us. ignoring us. Uh, she's deeply wounded my masculinity now. It's gone. Well, what's new? <laughs> but you know, you, you you see what I'm saying. Though. I do. Yeah. yeah. So our yeah. real intent for this segment, that man, we, we had a real intent for this segment of the while ago, was to uh, <laughs> review a game that was sent to us uh, called Livestock. Yeah, Livestock, Livestock Uprising. Uprising. That, uh, that we got from Dogmite Games. So, Livestock Uprising, uh, we've played it twice. Well, I've played it twice. Uh, Johannes played has it played once. it once. I played it at Board Game Night at the Cafe Ali a couple of weeks ago. Board and Brew. Board and Brew, that's right. That's what it's called. Uh, with my friend Devin, who is a kind man and a gentle soul. And, uh, and beardy. And he does have a beard, yeah. Um, majestic, really. Uh, mm-hmm. So, we got to play it once. That wasn't an ideal scenario to be learning it. Super loud. Um, super loud. Um, and we were a little bit rushed because we were getting toward the end of the night where we had to clear out so they could, you know, shut down the cafe for the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Johannes and I played it again, one on one. So it was one on one both times. This um, is a game designed for two to four players. But yes. I get the feeling that it probably gets better the more players you add, or at least gets closer to their intention the more right. players you add. So the the premise of Livestock Uprising is that each player controls one of four factions on the barnyard either cows, pigs, chickens, or goats, Mm -hmm. and you're going to fight it out. You're going to recruit various barnyard animals to your cause. Uh, You're going to fight each other over resources such as hay, corn, and apples, which you'll Mm -hmm. use to recruit those people. You're going to play cunning battle plan cards that give you special powers and do all sorts of wacky things. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, after a while, you will form all of your generals together into a super army and go on a rampage and beat up everything in sight, and the last super army standing wins. I think it's three generals. I think you, you have three generals, and you're going to combine all three of them into one super yeah, army. Yeah. I think I, you said four, but I could be wrong. I, I don't know. So um, it, it's a pretty interesting game. I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. It's very... Um, I'm still learning how to use these terms, but Eurogamey in that it's it's fairly analytical it's fairly strategic and if you were to completely strip the barnyard theme from it it would function exactly the same yeah i would say my biggest disappointment in the game was the lack of barnyard theme based comedy yeah like i was really looking forward to just hilarious pig and goat puns but it really extends to some funny artwork of animals wearing military helmets and the names of your generals and special troops for each army. And that's nothing against the game mechanically. No, 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 no. Um, no. I think they did a good job of it. We just because the last game we played from Dogmite was uh, Lake Billy, which was very, very text and joke driven because it was a drinking game. Yes. Um, this was kind of a shock. So it's the same artwork by the same guy, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's put together well. There's there's a pretty clear uh, sort of hierarchy, like a, as you're mining, or not mining, but... Um, harvesting. Harvesting different resources. What was it? Uh, uh, it was uh, grass, grass, hay, hay corn, corn, and apples. Carrots, too. Uh, c- carrots and then apples. Um, and so basically... You, you, you have to harvest a certain amount to get new units, and then those units allow you to harvest um, resources that you couldn't get before. And so, when you get those, you can harvest the nec- next one. So there's a very clear as, step-by-step process yeah. to get up to the best As ones. an example, a general on his own can only harvest grass. Right. And then you can use grass to hire a sheep. Mm-hmm. And the sheep allows you to, hi- to harvest. Uh, if you've got a sheep in your army, that general can then harvest hay. Which allows you to hire a donkey, which allows you to harvest one thing up the chain and so on. Right. So you wind up with this game of kind of climbing 
the different the, the chain of resources to get to the one you need but the higher resources wind up being more limited on the board and so you have to fight the other player to get access to them and get those characters into your army right which you can then use to fight because the higher up you go on the chain the more powerful the things like horses and oxen become mm-hmm. um i should we should note too uh we thought about doing a mildly alarming plays of um what do you call it? Uh, livestock livestock uprising, uprising, like we did for Lake Billy. But we found that the gameplay didn't really lend itself to humorous banter during the game. No, not it, so much. It didn't really make for good podcasting, so we decided to just talk about it instead. Yeah, Um. so all told, I enjoyed the game. And, and that I'm not big on girl games. I'm not big on strategy. I'm not big on player on player. We've talked about all of this before mm-hmm. in the show. And... I thought it was good, and I don't want you, you people who who are in you people, and I don't want you <laughs> those of you who are into strategy games um, to look down on it because of it. I think it was mechanically sound. I think they did a very good job of distilling it down to um, an interesting, engaging uh, strategy game um, without having drawn out what am I going to do on this turn Mm -hmm. waiting for another player to do their thing kind of play and without having too much like oh I can't believe you attacked me and and granted we only played it with two players so you might get a little bit more of the the subterfuge in in a three or a four player game but I think it worked really well it moves pretty quickly it's not too um it's not it's not too antagonistic and it's not too drawn out. Yeah, you're you you aren't forced to fight each other immediately because there's enough hay and grass and low tier resources to go around on mm-hmm. the board. And remind me, don't let me forget before this is over to talk about how the board is generated because I really liked that. Oh yeah. Um but then once you start to get into the higher tier resources, apples and carrots and so on, you then there are few enough of those that often you're forced to try to shove somebody else off of them so you can get hold of them. Right. Um, which is nice, which is, you know, you have to encourage that kind of conflict at some point. Um, you yeah. Wanna, you want to touch on the board? board yeah, yeah, I'll touch now. on it. So the board generation is kind of nice because you have a, a it's a nice piece of design because you have this pile of board tiles, little squares that each one has a, a number on the back, which tells you how many players should be in the game before you use it. So if you there's a big stack that has two players on it and then you use that if you're playing two. But then if you're playing three, you also shuffle the three-player tiles into mm-hmm. it. And if you're playing four and so on. And then you you create a, uh, I think it's a three-by-three three grid yep. in the middle of the table first. And then everybody puts their barn around the edge of it. And then you fill in the outside with the rest of the cards. So it becomes a five-by-five five or a six-by-six six or however big it gets. Right, and it would be bigger if it were more players. Exactly. Um, and so that's really nice because it, it generates a board that everybody has to look at. Now you have to decide, where am I going to put my barn based on the information I have mm-hmm. with, about this inner part of the board? Um, and you have to decide, am I going to put it near to where other people put their barns? Am I going to try to go for this really valuable resource that happened to show up in the middle? Or you might find, well, crap, the apples didn't show up anywhere, and they're the most valuable resource, so I don't know where they're going to be, so I have to kind of think, ah, I don't know where that's going to happen there. It, it leads you to make some... It gives you enough information to make a decision but not enough information for that decision to be game-defining, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Uh, you want your player to feel like they're making a decision or that kind of that early on, especially in a strategy game. It's that choice and agency we talked about in the last yeah. episode. But at the same time, you don't want it to be where a player or could two make... two episodes ago. So. Yeah. You don't want the, the player to make a decision and then they won because they may happen to make the right decision that early on. Right. That's no fun for the other players. You don't want to get in the situation where you're playing you know, two hours of just... Uh, executing on a victory already determined. Yeah. So then you've got this middle, you've put your barns around the edge, and then you fill in the rest of it until you've got a total grid, and that's that's nice. For the it's, sake of clarity, your barn is your home base, and you yes. can't be attacked there until someone forms a super army, right. and then they can move into a barn. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I feel like the resource gathering is, is, is it's intelligible enough and... and quick enough that it doesn't feel like you're dragging it out like you might run into with a uh, I haven't played the Game of Thrones board game but like an eclipse or something where yeah, you, yeah. you've got a lot to do to, to build your engine you're never built I never felt like I was building a resource gathering engine I felt like I just have to put my generals on the right spots for me this turn based on what's available and make the smartest move based on that so it's quicker in that way yeah so we, we've touched on what we like about the game and and I 
I want to stress again that I I legitimately enjoyed it, which is rare for me with these uh, Euro gamey. I too had a good time. Yeah. Um, it, it is very mechanics driven. You could completely strip away the the barnyard livestock uprising theme and cover mm-hmm. it with something else, and it would be the same game, and it would be just as good. Uh, I don't want to downplay the artwork or the time they put into designing it, but it it you know it could be anything else. They could re-release it as you know the Civil War or or yeah, the, whatever. The, th- the theme never felt like it was really driving the mechanics. Yeah. And uh, the, the the biggest downside I saw was that I don't feel like the armies were particularly well balanced. Uh, we so, only played with the two that we used, which was we we played um, goats versus cows. Cows tend to have higher defense mm-hmm. on their. So with the armies, you've got your three generals, which are indistinguishable from one another in all cases. Right. You know, you just have three different ones. Uh, but then each army also has three special troops they can hire who have unique properties. Mm-hmm. So the cows, they don't do anything special per se, but they tend to have a higher defense value. And the goats, by contrast, tend to have a higher attack value. Right. But the uh, the pigs and chickens, which I played in my game against uh, Devon, um, do extra harvesting and extra movement, respectively. Right. So we felt like... Personally, I feel like the pigs are pretty freaking powerful. Yeah, they seemed pretty OP. We didn't use them when we played, but they looked. If you if you can, because the entire game is built upon getting the resources you need to get to the higher tier animals faster. You know, if you can get if you can start hiring oxen, which are the most powerful animals in the game, early Mm -hmm. earlier than your opponent, and get more of them in your army, you're in a good way. You've got a very big advantage, Um, and the pigs can do that. So it might have just been that Devin didn't know enough to stop me from doing that, but because I was able to set it up mm-hmm. and get my pigs set up where they could do that extra harvesting, uh, I was pretty sharp. I was in pretty good shape to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Similarly with the, you know, the goats versus cows fight we did where you had higher defense and I had high attack. It was kind of an immovable object versus an unstoppable force scenario where my high attack value was negated by your very high defense values. But I curb stomped you pretty hard in that game. And you're generally better at me than better than me at, um, at, at, at strategic Mm -hmm. games. Yeah. And I felt like in that game, there was some strategy. I wasn't, I was missing, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like there were some nuances to how the, the components interact that I wasn't getting, and like when you should move on to given resources, when you should yeah. harvest them, and when you should attack other players, if not to fight them, just to block them, and how you should position your men on the board to keep people from being able to get to resources without fighting you. Yeah. So in that sense, it was a good game because there was nuance I didn't get on an early playthrough. Yeah. Which is good. You mm-hmm. want that. Uh, and there was nuance you grasped or lucked into or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I mean, know how either. it felt like. But um, so that's good in that sense. I always feel like if I do well in a strategy game, it's because I lucked into it. <laughs> um, let's talk about the super armies. Sure. What do you think about that? Mechan- so the super army, mechan- I guess we should talk about what it is. Once you feel like your three armies have gotten about as strong as you're going to get them to be, you run them all back to your barn and you combine them together and they become your super army. You flip over your little player board. They combine all of their attack and defense values together into one big, huge army. Um, and they roll two dice for combat instead of just one. So they get a lot more powerful. Uh, they also inflict extra casualties when they fight. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes it, it, it adds a level of strategery to the game that, um, you, you might actually be better off. I don't know. We've, I've only played the one and you've only played the two, but it, it's entirely possible that you could do better by playing a really quick game and forming your super army way early on with a smaller super Mm -hmm. army just to get those extra dice and just go whale on everyone's individual armies Mm -hmm. um i feel like you would run the risk though of getting kind of whittled down yeah because once you have a super army, you can't add anything to it anymore. Right, you can't harvest anymore, and there's no going back either. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like you would run the risk of the... You, you could do it, and you could fight the enemy, but you would have the problem of the enemy might pull like a, a, a Fabian move where they just let you beat yourself to death against their various small armies. Yeah. Um, And they let you run around the board where they they use a superior maneuverability and ability to cover more area of the board. And ability to regain units that you've destroyed. Sure. To work it out. Two, there's a rule that never came up in our game or in in my game against Devin where 
are multiple generals can gang up on a super army. Oh, I didn't know that. I think there is, yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, uh, the, well, the, the, so you said mobility, but actually, at least in, in Livestock Uprising, the super armies have increased mobility because they can move three where a standard mm-hmm. army can only move two. Sure, Which sure. thematically doesn't make a lot of sense, but strategically is definitely a benefit. It's definitely, definitely your advantage. Um, I'm a little bit of two minds on the super army thing. I want yeah. it, it feels kind of artificial. It's like it, it it doesn't make sense thematically. What's going on there? Like I don't know what that represents in the livestock uprising. No, I think it makes sense. It means you've got you've kind of hit critical mass on your small armies, and now you're ready to go wage all. Like before, you're kind of running around and you're out there, um, getting the resources that you need for combat. Mm-hmm. But you're you're separated and you can lose guys one at a time. You're out there. But once you come back and you're ready to wage all out war against the goats or whatever it is, ah. goats, you've got you've got this monster army that somehow can move faster and does a lot more damage, which does make sense. Um, and, and you're just ready to go thematically. I don't think it's too confusing. Um, mechanically, I think it's great because it basically forces an end game on most of the players like once one player goes back for their super army it's like okay all right it's time to get get my get my harvesting done and get my butt back to the barn because it's, otherwise i'm gonna get stomped before yeah, i can get my, my it's showtime here yeah 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 you know i can see you know i'm gonna retract i can see that that makes sense to me um the worry Devin and i had in our game like when we, when we chatted about it afterward was that in a three or four player like well we didn't actually play out the entire Super Army segment. I was so far ahead of him, and the game night was kind of coming to an end that we just said, it's clear you won, Yeah, that I, that I had won that one. And it felt like in our game, it was pretty clear you'd won, although I think we did play it all the way out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was pretty clear you had the advantage, and we're going to press it. Um, and it feels like an, I, I wonder if in a lot of cases you wind up getting to that point where the Super Army segment is more of a formality where... In a two-player game, I bet in a three- or four-player game, probably not And so that's much. what we, we, we talked about and we kind of hemmed and hawed over was in a three- or four-player game, would this be an empty formality? Would it be an actual second half of the game where you've got this extra interesting part going on? Right. Or would it just be an extra part that drags drags out? You know, and yeah. I don't know that. Having not I could, been able in to play a two-player game, I could see the um, the super armies dragging out in mm-hmm. certain situations. Yeah, in, ter- in certain situations, it can be just well. It's clear one of us won. We're just we're just finishing now. But I, I think I think in a three-player game, unless the third player had somehow already been destroyed before they even got to form their super army, or mm-hmm. if their super army wasn't all that great, um, I think just the sort of unpredictability of a third player being able to throw themselves into combat before uh, one of the other two players could do what they wanted to do probably keeps it pretty fresh, even in okay. the Super Army phase. It, it, it's definitely going to be worth trying to play test it with three. Yeah. So I would recommend this game to really anyone who's into um, to, to strategic combat games. I think mm-hmm. they did a really good job mechanically. We, we mentioned a few little problems with, with army balance. The pigs are probably overpowered. Um you know, I kind of wonder about it because I wonder the pigs are definitely overpowered in two player. I th- well, I th- I think the pigs are overpowered if nobody realizes the pigs are overpowered, but I feel like cuz cuz if you if you spend your time in, blocking them. Well, yeah, in, in the game I played against Devin, for example, he was playing the chickens who move faster than everybody else. Oh. So I'm wondering if he had known I have to stop the pigs from getting their engine going mm-hmm. and getting their harvesting. Cause if he could have done it. Because the pigs are no better than anybody else until they start to get their special troops, and right. they have to get their harvest going to get those. Right. So if he had made it a point of denying me corn and carrots so I couldn't get up to those upper-tier special troops. Board games, everyone. I know, right? Uh how much of a difference would that have made? Right. So I'm, I don't want to say the pigs are overpowered categorically. I feel like in your early games, the pigs are going to be the army to learn how to beat, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah. Because they're, so, the, they're the most obvious ones to me. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going pretty long here. So all in all, what would you say? Recommend? Don't recommend? I would, ambivalent? Re- I would say I would recommend Livestock Uprising. Personally, um, I don't know that I would seek it out myself. And be like, I want to play Livestock Uprising all the time. But if somebody else liked it and wanted to play it, I would be like, yeah, I'll play Livestock Uprising. I'll give it a go. I surprisingly liked it. 
Um, if I were in a gaming situation with an analytical strategic person who wanted to play that kind of combat game, mm-hmm. uh, I would recommend this before I would recommend something like Eclipse, something yeah. heavier that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of yeah, dedication. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the nice thing about it. It's not a it's not a real brick of a strategy game. It's the kind of strat it, it'll fit nicely between it'll it, it could kind of bridge the gap between you know nerds like me who really like that kind of in-depth analytical lots of moving pieces stuff going on strategy yeah. game and people like Johannes who want something a little faster because they have ADHD right that's not gonna that's not going to weigh down the and well the other thing about it too is it took us what maybe 45 minutes an hour to play I think, yeah between 45 minutes an hour for a first time play for me yeah so I feel like even with three or four players once you get the hang of it it's not going to be a it's not going to drag on forever it's not going to be a, a evening dominating game so yeah. it might be a strategy game that you can get out and still have other kinds of games and other games going on in your game night it's one of the problems with Eclipse if you want a real good game of Eclipse with a bunch of players that's your game day right yeah, there exactly you're not getting to play other games and that's fine that's what eclipse is for if you've got the people who are into it but if you've got other people you know you might be able to play a couple different games this way so i think we'd both recommend that you check it out you can find it at uh it, is it dogmite or dogmitegames.com uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go on the internet real quick you fill the air while i do that all right either way it's gonna be in the show notes but this is definitely a game worth checking out pretty much across the board uh, unless you're a, a straight, like, dice roll party game kind of player. Yeah, it is dogmite.com. D-O-G-M-I-G-H-T dot com. Uh, definitely give them a look. Lake Billy was fun. You can go back into the archives and find our Lake Billy playtest and hear the whole thing. You can check out this game. Uh, our review is here, and it's on their website. And they also sell these great game boxes for, like, tabletop accessories, dice boxes, that kind of thing. Also, I'm looking at their website, and on their little blurb about Livestock Uprising, they have the the, the tagline is, A Call to Farms. Oh, that's pretty great. That's pretty good. So they've earned my undying gratitude just for that. Right. And so, and if you're in Michigan, as as we are, uh, this is a, a local company, so you can support the local econom- economy if that's your thing. They're out of Pinckney. Keep your dollars in the mitten. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Keep your dollars in a mitten, too. Who's going to look in there? Like, outside of the winter, they're like... They're gonna. I mean, they're gonna. Mitten? They're gonna check under your mattress. They're gonna check your sock drawer. They're not checking your mittens. They're gonna check check your weird shoebox that you keep all your money in because you don't trust banks. <laughs> Livestock uprising. Mildly alarming. Games recommends. We do indeed. So, uh, if you have anything else you would like to add or hear us talk about, hit us up on Twitter at mildly alarming. Send us an email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. Leave a comment in the comment section at www.mildlyalarming.com. Or clap your hands twice and then speak your comment into the cupped cupped, uh, orifice of your hands. We'll get it. I lost track of that one. I'm sorry. Orifice was a gross word to use right there. I regret it entirely. It's disgusting. But we will hear you. We have that ability. So we'll see you next week on the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Good night. Take it easy. The Mildly Alarming Podcast is brought to you by a truck.